0: We would like to acknowledge and respect the traditional owners, including the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the original custodians of this land, along with their customs and traditions and their special relationship with the land. It's the 20th of June and welcome to The Wind Down, a recap of the week's news produced by Swinburne University's The Standard. I'm your host Lauren Boddicker. Among today's headlines, minimum wage is set to increase by 2.5%. Also coming up, I speak with Emily Spindler, co-host of a special episode of The Standards New Culture podcast, Switched On, about queer media and about the coming Thursday's episode. And now for the week's headlines. COVID-19 restrictions have eased in Melbourne and regional Victoria as of Friday. Acting Premier James Molino announced, saying that the state is coming back together. To Melbournians, the new restrictions are as follows. Face masks must be carried at all times and are required indoors but not outside when physical distancing is possible. movement between Melbourne and regional Victoria is permitted again but people wishing to go to the snow must show evidence of a negative Covid test before entering the ski fields. No visitors are allowed at aged care homes except for end-of-life reasons and other exceptions such as essential care. Visitors to hospitals are only allowed for end-of-life care, a parent accompanying a child or to support a partner giving birth. Schools, daycares, childcare, and early learning centres will remain open, but people in higher education and training should continue to work from home if possible. Two visitors are allowed at home each day, and gatherings of 20 are permitted outside. Community sport is returning, but no spectators are allowed. Gyms and sports centres are reopening with a capacity limit of no more than 50 inside. Food and drink venues are now allowed, 75 people indoors with a maximum of 150 patrons total people may book in groups of 10. The minimum wage is set to be increased by 2.5% to $20.33, but the pay hike will be delayed for industries hit hardest by the pandemic. The change has been ordered by the Fair Work Commission, who felt the rise was warranted after a better economic performance than forecast. The change will be staggered for many industries on the general retail award, tourism and fitness, who won't receive pay rises till up to November this year, All other workers will receive a pay rise when the new financial year starts on July 1st. The number is a compromise between the 3.5% hike demanded by unions and the 1.1% advocated by industry groups. The Australian Council of Trade Unions says 2.5% won't be enough to keep up with the cost of living. The Australian Chamber of Commerce has called the number irresponsible. People eager to receive the first dose of Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines have been turned away as supply caps have prevented people from getting the jab. The Western Health website said that until further notice, people cannot book in to receive their initial Pfizer injection. Bookings are still open for those looking to receive their second dose, however. The AstraZeneca vaccine is still open to walk-ins, but the age of eligibility for the vaccine has been increased from 50 years old to 60 years old, after the death of a 52-year-old New South Wales woman last week due to rare vaccine-related blood clotting. In
1: terms of uh, hesitancy. Um, What we will have seen, of course, is those that are 50 to 59 uh, who would otherwise have gone for their AstraZeneca
0: as the uh, Lieutenant General has set out. Obviously, we're expecting uh, them uh, not to uh, proceed at this point in time. But now we go through that process of uh, rebooking. Health authorities are urging people to be patient. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has stood by the Liberal government's current policy on climate change after attending the G7 summit as a guest this week. The UK, United States, Germany, Italy, Japan, Canada and France, the countries comprising the G7 or Group of Seven, all set new goals and deadlines to decarbonise their economies, but Australia didn't update their goals at the summit. Scott Morrison said there was no pressure for G7 leaders over the government's current climate policy, even though Australia has been subject to international pressures recently and reinforce the notion that Australia is inventing in new technologies to arrive at a clean energy economy. Australia's policies will be set for Australia's interests, Morrison said. The G7 agreed to cease funding for coal plants that did not possess carbon capture technology, which included a $2 billion fund to help developing countries decrease their reliance on coal. Scott Morrison reiterated the economic importance of coal in Australia and that Australia was not a signatory of the G7 agreement. Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormick said in a press conference that coal was crucial to the country's functioning.
1: About two thirds of our energy comes from coal. 55,000 55, people are employed in the coal industry and 66 billion dollars of exports that pays for a lot of hospitals, pays for a lot of schools, pays for a lot of barista machines that uh, uh, produces the coffee that uh, inner city types sit around and drink and talk about the the death of coal. Well as uh, the New South Wales governor said, as the federal governor said and as other governments have also said, coal has a part to play for many more years to come and that will be the case.
0: Australia did sign agreements with both Japan and Germany based around accelerating the development and commercialization of low-emissions technology like hydrogen. The G7 summit has been met with criticism from climate activists and environmentalist groups who believe not enough action was taken. The Biloela Tamil family were reunited in Perth 10 days after the daughter was first admitted to hospital. The reunion occurred on the 1,200th day since they were admitted into detention on Christmas Island after being removed from their home in Bilawila by Border Force officers. Nadas and Priya came to Australia by boat. Their daughters, Kopika and Thanukka were both in Australia. Earlier this week, Immigration Minister Alex Hawke confirmed that the family would be able to leave offshore detention and continue community detention in Perth. The parents are still unable to work and there's been no guarantee as to whether they would receive temporary protection. A producer for the Friendly Geordie's YouTube channel has been arrested and charged with allegedly stalking and intimidating New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barilaro. The New South Wales Fixated Persons Unit, after receiving a complaint by Barilaro, arrested 21-year-old Christo Lanka on the 4th of June, charging him with stalking or intimidate intending to cause physical or mental harm. Friendly Geordies and Barilaro have a history of conflicts which involved Barilaro suing Friendly Geordies for defamation after a series of videos were published about him on YouTube, which the deputy premier called racist.
1: But bros, I'm a visual learner! They should've turned what was gonna happen into a movie, then I would've paid attention! He blamed the national parks. One of the men most responsible on Earth for the black summer bushfires.
0: Lanka's lawyers say the use of the fixated persons unit was shocking, as the unit was created to deal with lone-acting extremists after the Lint Cafe siege in 2014. They also said that Lanka's mother was assaulted during the arrest and that bail conditions are unreasonable. The criminal charges have been laid relating to two encounters between Lanka and Barilaro. The first encounter occurred when friendly Geordies and Lanker attended the Deputy Premier's speech at Macquarie University's politics in the pub event. In which Lanka allegedly tussled with several people in order to get close to Barilaro. This particular encounter was reported by The Standard when it occurred in April and can be read on our website. The second encounter happened hours before Lanker's arrest, which involved him filming Barilaro as he walked to his car allegedly asking, why are you suing my boss? Police of Lanker's action had constituted harassment to Barilaro. Lanker will appear before court on the 24th of June. Pauline Hanson misrepresented her birthday in Parliament to deflect claims of a superannuation brought. Debate was sparked when One Nation pushed to lift the age of concessional super contributions to 67 from the previous 65. When Senator Hanson announced that she had just turned 67, Labour Senator Murray Watt accused her of giving herself a pay rise as a birthday present. Senator Hanson then retracted her statement saying her birthday was actually in May and that she had made a mistake. The One Nation's leader's biography states her birthday is the 27th of May. And now for the breakdown where I speak with Aditi Kuti and Angus Delaney about our most interested topics of the previous week. Welcome.
1: (laughs) So one of the headlines that was most contentious and talked about this week was talk about when people like a new trial program throughout Australia and several states is that when people go to get you know, the plan B contraceptive pill or plan C. When you go there to get that pill, you can get the pharmacist to consult you and ask if you want to talk about different options. And then if you say yes, you can get like evidence-based discussion, showing information about like different ways of taking contraceptive that could help. And it was pretty contentious. The people on both sides, some think it's a barrier to women going to get the pill. And others think, you know, it's always good to have the conversation and it's aimed around education. And I'm just wondering what you guys think. Is, is this going to be effective? Is this, you know, offensive to women that, you know, might be educated and they're just doing what they like? What do you guys think?
0: I don't have an issue with it. Like I think it's always good to know your options and to sort of learn about what you're taking and what you're putting into your body, like that opportunity with your pharmacist. I think that's a good opportunity to learn what, yeah, what's going into your body and how it might affect you. Um, But also I think, you know, I question how they're going to have that conversation because normally in my experience, that's like, I don't know if it's the right term, like an over the counter kind of thing. They just hand it to you and that's it. They don't really say anything to you. Like I've only ever had one time where I've had to book in an appointment and this was in the UK. I had to book in an appointment um, and then we sat in a room, and they and she gave me information about it, and I was able to like ask questions. Um, so it was kind of like a different process. When I was in the UK, it was like a very yeah book an appointment, sit down, you've got that time, you know, in a private space with a pharmacist to talk it all through. But like in Australia, it was a very like here you go, goodbye, yeah, yeah.
1: As a- more, mm-hmm. small form as well, like mm-hmm. fill out stuff. So usually, yeah, I think less having than that five minutes, in and out.
0: Talk and get that info is good. But yeah, anyway.
2: I don't know. It's been interesting because I've got friends who are actually pharmacists who've been quite kind of angry at the response that this story has had because it's. Uh, I mean, I don't know. In my experience, I've always had pharmacists kind of tell me exactly like what the medication does. Maybe it's because the medication that I've received has been like a little harder to use or like it's got a lot more issues around it I tend to like I've got eczema and I tend to get steroid creams for outbreaks because they tend to be quite bad um so maybe it's just I guess the kind of medication that I get but they often do counsel me on exactly what I'm getting and like what I do have and also um like other alternatives um that might be less effective, but less dangerous. I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing to do um, for contraceptive medication, especially knowing <laughs> how many side effects they have and how much they can affect people. At the same time, I do understand um, why people have reacted the way they have to this. Um, there's a lot of sensitivity around like birth control medication and how it's been treated by medical professionals in the past um how it's often treated even today there's still stigma around it and
1: um like- well they talk a lot about it's about education and for me when I was in high school like sex ed at my I went to a public school and it was actually really I thought it was pretty good like a lot of stuff got addressed I know some people in years older than you said it wasn't as good for them that went to the same school but I thought it was really good at my school was it you know a positive experience for you guys
0: uh no, <laughs> short but sweet. Um, no, my my experience was uh, it was just very uninformative, and it wasn't. And again, like this is a hot topic. Uh, girls were separated from guys. We weren't taught the same stuff, mm. and it was. I just thought, yeah, you know, like how I've had to, I've had to kind of look. I've had to teach myself pretty much about. And that's not how you should have to go through it. Like that's not what you should have to do. I actually, I actually had the opposite experience.
2: So, like, I went to a public school as well, and it was like so comprehensive, like really in depth, and like really. To be fair, as well, I don't know what the boys were taught because we were separated. Um, we were taught. We took separate kind of PE classes anyway from the boys, and it was just taught in our PE. But um, in, like, the girls' classes, it was, like, incredibly comprehensive. Our teacher was, like, really blunt um, and she just did not take kind of any nonsense. She didn't care about, like, stigmas or that kind of thing. So I think it matters... What kind of teacher you have, but also um, I didn't get to go because I faint um, at graphic descriptions of blood and things like that. So I blacked out. I blacked out of my classes a lot, so that I would just sit out a lot of my sex education. So I, did, I know it was really comprehensive because of what people told me, <laughs> but I wasn't. I wasn't able to attend. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I did end up having to teach myself and that's been a precarious process on its own because of my afflictions.
1: <laughs> we had boys and girls that's good. mixed together in our class. Yeah, and that wasn't awkward because we did it during health. PA, we had separate classes for the first years, but then in health, we were together. And it wasn't awkward at all. Like, I-, I had a good time. We thought it was kind of funny when you get to put condoms on the... It is <laughs> But I think for looking at this issue that we talked about, I think, you know, there's good arguments on both sides. If people want to have that extra talk, they can. And if they don't, they can just tell the pharmacist, I don't want to talk about it. But like in general, I think maybe it'd be better to look at reform for how sex education is taught across all schools. And we have a better understanding that, you know, public, private schools, they're all taught the same way. And the same stuff
0: yeah yeah well there's an interesting um uh she's a writer um brie lee she's spoken about this with uh the saturday paper she's featured on a couple of their podcasts as well and she's spoken about her experiences being invited to talk to schools about sex education not necessarily sex education but like um sort of like sexual harassment, and there's the issue there with girls and boys being separated, and um, she doesn't understand why. And again, public private schools being taught the same thing. So if people if people want to hear more about this kind of stuff, really she's really interesting to hear speak on these topics. Um, the headline that I wanted to talk about was Victoria's Secret's sort of rebranding strategy that was uh, kind of announced last week. Um, about instead of having angels, they're going to have this group called the VS Collective, which you know, are made up of, like, LGBTQIA plus um, people like soccer star Megan Rapinoe, I think. That's how you pronounce her name. And um, Eileen Gu, Gu, Ju. Um, sorry if I'm mispronouncing names. And Priyanka Chopra and, um, yeah, do. Ad- I'm going to pronounce names wrong all over the place here. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, But basically they're getting these sort of powerful, diverse women to represent them as opposed to like, you know, crazy conventionally perfect supermodels, right? Um, Which is interesting. There's also going to be like a podcast that they're doing, these women. Um, So VS is doing a podcast as well with these women talking about, I guess, what they stand for and, you know, I guess positive body image kind of stuff. Um, but there's been some comment about, like, whether it's a glossy kind of varnish on everything. Like, there's been so much bad rep for Victoria's Secret over the past um, couple years maybe. Like, the former CEO, um, I think Mac, Max Wexner or something like that. He had an affiliation with, um, oh, I've forgotten his name. That is so annoying. Um, Jeffrey Edelstein? Epstein, Epstein. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had a he had a bit of a relationship, a friendship or some sort of um, association with him, so there was a bad rep for that.
1: And he said, Adam, before he... Resigned, He'd said, like, in an interview with Vogue that he wasn't going to have um, plus-size models or transgender models yeah. at the catwalk.
0: Yeah, so it hasn't been great press, but he's no longer the CEO. It's now Martin Waters. Okay, Martin Waters. So he's the new CEO, and he's trying to, like, turn it around um, and make it more diverse on all shapes and sizes and colours and ethnicities. Gender is an area of interest um, so he's really trying to change how the way Victoria's Secret is looked at. Um, they're even, like, you know, doing things like changing the mannequins in stores to be, you know, fuller-figured. But, again, like, is this sort of just washing over things or some people say it's a bit of a risk as well, changing their strategy? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about this? I
2: I don't want to say that, like... <sighs> I don't want to say that making all these changes that they probably should have made a long time ago is enough, but at the same time, it is actually like a significant amount of change. It's a lot more than a lot of other companies have done um, when kind of trying to address issues mm. like this. I don't know. There's a lot that they would probably have to redo. I think it's it's like you said, it's a huge business risk changing their entire brand. Um, And I think that in and of itself is kind of something like Mm. something that I've been thinking about a lot is like companies that have made rainbow logos for themselves during Pride Month while also like not actually doing anything, like, there's a there's a pharmacist group in the US that sponsored New York Pride and they kind of made their logo rainbow, but it turned out like they were owned by a pharmaceutical company that kind of marked the price up of, of AIDS medication beyond what people are able to afford. Um, so mm, like, yeah. I think when you look at what other companies have done um, around these issues and what Victoria's Secret is doing, it is significantly more I'm reluctant to say that it's enough because I feel like Victoria's Secret has been a very old-fashioned institution for a long time now.
1: Uh, yeah. But at
2: the same time, it's a lot more I think than I expected from them.
1: So. I agree. It does feel it feels big, um, especially with like what they stood for in the past, with that like idealistic, like quote-unquote convention, like perfect body type. I think this is like is genuine as a company, you could say it's like a good business decision for them is to rebrand like this, like their share prices are the highest they've been since the start of 2017. Mm. So people have taken to it, people are buying in. That's, I know this is just a recent announcement, but yeah, just the behavior they've been mm. showing since they've got a new CEO.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: think this all makes sense. I think it's a good move. Yeah. I think, you know, people will be pleased with that.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think it's a good move. Um, someone did make the comment about um, representing people with disabilities, um, which is another good point to make. Um, and I'm and I'm thinking maybe they will they will go in that direction. Um, but I mean, I think it's all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a given, and it has taken a while for them to get to this point. And they cancelled the V.S. runway show. I think like couple of years ago but maybe it's coming back in 2022 they're saying mm. um and i hope it does come back like i love the fashion shows and i love the drama and like the spectacle and the whole event it was really cool and i love the angels i love the wings so i don't see why you have to get rid of that what happens to the- I, don't,
1: I, I don't know I just work now?
0: exactly like no they're famous models they will never be out of work like they will always have work they're fine i'm not worried about them <laughs> I like that image. I think just, it would be yeah, cool to on, yeah. see done kind of on a more diverse yeah. kind of group of people. Because I guess, like, one of the
2: – like, I I love I, – I don't particularly care about fashion, but I do like seeing, I guess, <laughs> the VS runway as well, it's, like, the, the, the outfits. Yeah. I do like seeing them, um, especially the wings. And I just think, like – but one of my qualms has always been that <laughs> – they're all kind of conventionally pretty. And there's a lot of discussion around, like, beauty standards as well yeah. and how um, they are kind of designed to make us look as young as possible. Yeah.
0: Older and, women as well. Like, I like that you brought up women, the fact yeah. that, yeah, it's focused on women who look young or, yeah, you know. Like- I, I love to see older women being a part of it. Like, I don't mm. see why it has to be strictly for, like, t- you know, 18 to – late 30 year olds you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um I think it'll be interesting to see how the brand (laughs) can like continues to develop and pivot its strategy Mm. so what was the story that you picked out this week so mine's a little bit
2: interesting it's both a bit (laughs) it's both a bit funny and also um uh and also kind of serious <laughs> in many ways uh but uh there's been kind of an interesting rise in the men's rights in men's rights activism in south korea specifically relating to the gesture the emoji or the gesture i should say uh which you take your index finger and your yeah. thumb and you pinch them yeah maybe you pinch them but they're not <laughs> quite um <laughs> touching yes yeah pretty much um a lot of men have fe- taken offense with the gesture because it implies that a, a certain part, part of their body. We all is very know what smart. part that is. A certain part.
0: Assume. I think you can
2: probably guess which one um, that may be. Not <laughs> Definitely the foot. Um, <laughs> so, a lot of kind of. Um, they've been campaigning to get that particular gesture removed from. Advertising campaigns. So, yeah, there was a grocery (laughs) chain advertising uh, mini sausages. So, in order to indicate the size, they used that gesture um, in their advertising. uh, And men campaigned to have that poster taken down uh, because they said it was offensive to them. Um, People kind of treated this whole campaign as a joke until companies started to actually do it. So, um, the grocery chain took their advertising down. Um, the there was a soccer team. I believe it's one of from their um, soccer league. I forget again. I don't have my notes up available at the moment, mm-hmm. so I cannot tell you the exact team. But um, a soccer team that kind of had that gesture in a really minuscule part of one of their advertising posters. That poster and campaign was taken down, um, and it's really interesting because a lot of these people are Counter protesting women who mm-hmm. want the wage gap fixed. You know, what do you guys kind of think about this? Because I like at first I found it really funny, but then I found out that like women who have been campaigning for years uh, for wage for wage equality um, have not, you know, they haven't been responded to <laughs> at all. <laughs>
1: so it's giving those men like ammunition to complain about the cause, which is not good for the feminists and their support. exactly,
2: And a lot of them are campaigning, not just, I mean, right now the main protests are about the wage gap, um, but a lot of them have campaigned for, there's this thing called Molka in South Korea, uh, which is um, these little spy cameras that kind of people install in public places. Uh, so like bathrooms, hotels, um, that kind of thing, uh, women's bathrooms in particular. Uh, and then they'll use that footage and sell it because uh, pornography is illegal and like creating pornography and distributing it is illegal in South Korea. But um, they will do this and kind of distribute that instead and it's not legally classified as pornography.
1: There are there laws against that? There are laws
2: against that at the moment, um, but they're not well... Uh,
1: enforceable. They're or... not
2: kind of executed very
1: well. On that like symbol, you sure look maybe it's a little bit childish but it's nothing to get s- really angry at it's nothing to make you anti-feminist the-
0: yeah well I mean it's showing it's kind of showing what so is has so this has been like made law or like has this been no so this um it's not a
2: law they they have been contacting companies so it is a company specifically so I guess that that also explains like how there's been like quicker action on this. Um, I guess like I mean I don't want to create more talking points because I think we've talked a lot already. But another thing to add on to this is this conspiracy uh, that conspiracy. Uh, <laughs> 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 that a lot of people genuinely believe that um, because graphic design and like the design industry in korea um the majority of workers are women mm, interesting so it's a deliberate kind of attempt by feminists to p- send their message yeah that's really interesting through. so they
0: think that women are like getting hired by companies and women are just out of spite they're like putting the symbol into the campaigns that's hilarious I haven't,
1: I haven't looked looked intentional. Mm-hmm. Some of like, the posters looked like they were um, intentionally doing it and making a statement. Like I think that, that little sausage one, probably making a statement, they took it down. But other ones are incidental. But I don't know. I agree with Lauren. Yeah. I don't get yeah.
0: it. It's, um, it's interesting. It just goes to show how different, different cultures are. And, um, but, I mean, like, I'm sure there's been a case in Australia where something like that's that's happened. Like,
2: oh, 100%. 100 i can't think yeah. of one off the top of my I'm head ten- right now
0: but something.
2: there are probably heaps yeah.
0: yeah i mean the world is a crazy place and it's odd and i don't know the world yeah. is a patriarchal <laughs>
2: place and
0: sadly yeah interesting stuff <laughs> happening over the week and the news cycle does not end does it no, it really doesn't.
2: Although this has been relatively, compared to previous weeks, I feel like um, this has been a relatively slow news week. Yeah,
1: yeah. just COVID stuff, which bores me a little bit.
2: Yeah, you okay. can hear more about that in the wind-down headlines, which you probably already just did. Oh,
0: man. Anyway, yeah, good chatting. Yeah,
2: great. Great talking to you
0: guys. I need food. I'm not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Now to an interview that I have with Emily Spindler, co-host of Switched On, the Standard's new culture podcast, with a special episode about queer media airing this Thursday. Can we hear a little bit about, um, just like as a sort of teaser, I suppose, about what you've discovered or maybe like one good example? Like, I don't want you to give away everything, of course. <laughs>
3: No, no, that's totally (sighs) fine. It's quite hard to actually find something that is definitively good, even with those leaps and bounds of improvement in representation, something that some parts of the community might think are great, others will kind of question a bit more. Uh, But one that comes to mind for me as a really fantastic example, I think, of queer media is uh, The Last of Us Part 2. So video game came out exactly a year ago the other day and the main character is a queer woman which is fantastic because that's you know pretty pretty rare I guess for video games particularly and the story doesn't focus solely on her sexuality which is really nice to see It's just kind of a a part of it, but it's not such a little part that it's just like a shred of representation, I guess. And she also doesn't die, so that's, you know, um, as bad as it sounds. It's always a positive. It's always a positive, yeah. And, um, yeah, we get to see some, like, I guess, from my experience, really kind of realistic-seeming scenes with... Uh, the other woman that she is dating in the game and just for me my little gay heart was very excited to see that so um yeah (laughs) I would personally call that a really good example but I I know there's heaps out there definitely there's a lot of kind of discourse about what truly constitutes a good piece of queer media
0: so what's like I guess a trope of a LGBTQIA plus sort of character because it's interesting when you said, like, they usually kill those characters off, because that unfortunately means we don't get to see, like, character arcs or, like, character development, unfortunately. Yeah, like, for some reason, it, that that's cut short.
3: There's definitely a lot of tropes, and I guess we get those pieces of media where the character isn't killed off before you sort of get to properly meet them, and um, there are still, yeah, some quite damaging stereotypes that are presented particularly in i guess the bad pieces of media so one that immediately comes to mind is um when you've got a lot of bisexual characters in any type of media um they're often represented as either indecisive or greedy or they're hypersexualized it's something that comes up quite a lot i guess they're also kind of seen sometimes as like the home wrecker um which is really a shame because obviously those kind of stereotypes that we get presented in media for people that perhaps aren't in the queer community, that's just going to reinforce any potential biases they already have. So representation and things like that is super important to, I guess, help with those kind of biases and breaking them down. Uh, Another trope is, I guess it's technically a trope, um, Queer baiting, so that's where you get uh, in media characters that are kind of queer coded it's made to seem in the story or through pretty much all facets of how they are designed and written and performed that they are part of the queer community but then it never eventuates and it's sort of seen as a way to capitalize on I believe they call it the pink dollar so it's sort of that thing of getting the queer people in because they think they're getting representation and they're spending their money on these types of media forms, and then it just nothing ever happens, and then it's sort of
0: a real big letdown. I, no one should like feel I don't, and no one should really feel like they're going to watch a movie or read a book or listen to something just because that kind of person or Uh, identity is a part of that like I feel like it should naturally sort of be incorporated into it it shouldn't be like forced
3: yeah and it's definitely something that doesn't only happen in the queer community so um, it's something that people of colour disabled people also kind of deal with Um, most minority groups do have that kind of trend of where we will you know, go see something or play something. Yeah, because we are we, we feel ourselves reflected in it. And it's a shame because obviously the amount of media that kind of includes us is a lot less than, I guess, media that would include like your stereotypical straight, white, cis person. And so also as a result, you're not getting the stories you kind of enjoy or want. They might not be as good as... You know, the storytelling or like the film quality might not be as good, that kind of things. Sometimes it feels like I am clutching at
0: straws to find good representation of myself in media. Mm. And that shouldn't have to be the case. Is there any sort of, like, progress maybe being made? Yeah, there's a lot of progress being made, surprisingly. That was a
3: very high-pitched... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, no. Um, so there's been a lot of progress made in, uh, like, particularly yeah. children's cartoons, which is kind of a bit surprising. So um, one that comes straight to mind is The Owl House, which I believe is on Disney Plus in America. I don't know if it's here yet, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, just like a... A happy kind of good interesting story great storytelling I personally really like the animation style that has queer characters and it's very clear that they are queer um and you've got things if we're going back like She-Ra and the Princess's Power uh what else you've got Avatar and the Legend of Korra um you've got Adventure Time is a really big one um so yeah you do get That kind of representation a lot more in children's cartoons these days which is good because it means that kids are growing up seeing that and a lot of them are I would consider quite good representation my only issue with some of them is um, another sort of I guess trope or trend that I've seen is the reveal of the character's queerness or their relationship with another character through the final episode of the the entire series. So you really only get that, once again, that crumb.
0: Uh, and again, that like cutting off of- The story. Like development.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of those have kind of gone on to bring out extra material, which is actually another thing that we're going to talk about in the episode. So, for example, with The Legend of Korra, they brought out comics with Adventure Time. It was baked in a little bit more into Adventure Time than- a few of the other examples but um they brought out sort of additional episodes and things like that that sort of made it a bit more explicit and showed more of that kind of relationship blossoming and then Shira hasn't really had anything additional that i can think of everyone really really loves the series so it, it is it is a really good series yeah with the owl house which is the most recent example that i can think of it's much more clear kind of throughout so we get one of the characters that will visibly blush or seem like shy and stuff when there's a close proximity between her and the other main character, Luce, which is, I guess it's nice to see because it's subtle, but it's it makes it clear it's not something that they've kind of either shoehorned in at the end or not gotten the green light to do until there's kind of no need to convince studios to keep
0: producing it. So there is there is change, but yeah. it's it's slow going. And it's interesting how it's like being, it's a bit more prominent in children's television. I think a lot of these shows are
3: written by queer people. So we find, I I mean, there's always been a call for sort of queer creators to be put to the forefront for these kind of stories, because obviously they are going to write more authentic feeling stories. Um, And we are sort of seeing that. So. Yeah, it's, it's good to see that because when you're watching these shows, you can go, oh, this actually feels quite realistic. It doesn't feel like someone's kind of seen a queer relationship with no personal lived experience and then written it and it just doesn't come across quite, quite the same. Um, so yeah, having mm-hmm. those like queer people telling queer stories is obviously always going to be, in my opinion, much better. Um, And I suppose we do see kind of more of that. So another example, if we were to look at like live action television, is um, Feel Good by Mae Martin, which is on Netflix. Chronicles a bit of her life, but it's obviously spun for a a TV show audience. Um, And it's about a woman who is recovering from an addiction that has destroyed her relationships with her family. And she meets another woman and uh, falls for her and the other woman actually isn't out as a queer woman yet. Um, And it's kind of those two working that out and learning about each other and then sort of dealing with that addiction continually coming up. And there's a whole host of really great characters in it. Once again, Mae Martin is a
0: queer person, so it really kind of helps with making that story believable. Is I'm also wondering, like I don't think I ever came across any of these sort of characters or I like, you know, storylines when I was younger, like I didn't have, none of that was any in any of the children's shows that I was watching. Was that the same for you?
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk to other queer people about their experience with media when they were younger because like you say, there's not really many, I guess, explicit or like on-the-nose kind of queer representation in the older kind of media Mm. Oh, and if there is, it is kind of that very stereotypical, like flamboyant gay man, for example, and it's not sort of, it's presented in a way where you're not sort of like, oh, you know, I wish I was that character. Mm. Um, But something that kind of goes way back is the idea of like queer coding. So it happened a lot with villains in Disney movies. Um, So there's just certain, I guess, facets of the character design for those villains that makes them I guess seem like they could be part of the queer community and then obviously that has a knock-on effect because if you associate villain with lgbtqia plus it's not not great um but yeah so I guess I saw myself in some ways reflected in those queer coded characters and villains but I didn't see you know the kind of stuff that I see now it's just someone going about their everyday life that I feel is is
0: like me Mm. I think that's also something else that I've have kind of picked up on uh, some people like take fictional characters and sort of uh, like put their own story into their life not their personal story but like one for example um I watched the Jane Austen book club um which is like one of my favorite movies and one of the female characters who identifies as lesbian kind of hypothesizes that maybe one of the main characters in a Jane Austen book was actually lesbian, not straight, and Jane Austen kind of put these little subtleties into the character, um, and, maybe, and maybe that was the case, but I love that idea that we could also take fictional characters and kind of give them our own understanding and our own story. I think that's kind of cool
2: yeah
3: i definitely it's definitely really common um i believe one of the terms for it is it's like your head canon um yeah and it i need to get with the lingo <laughs> oh, gosh all my fandom days are really coming back to me but um yeah it's it's pretty common i know i've done it before where i might pick up on like the most subtlest of things so maybe mm. the character doesn't respond for, for me personally uh, a woman doesn't respond to a man's advances in a story and the uh, the man is otherwise like fantastic or written as fantastic in for mm. example a book or a film um, like and that. then in my yeah <laughs> in my head i would be like oh it's because she's not interested in men or that's what i'm going to sort of put in the back of my mm. mind and think about because it makes it more not palatable but i can enjoy it more in in a way because I'm like, oh, you know, they could be me. Like, that could be
0: me in that story. But it's definitely, like, plausible. Like, yeah. I wouldn't rule that out, you know?
3: Yeah, so um, it's definitely interesting to see fans give media a life of its own because, I mean, the moment that um, the creators of something have kind of put it out into the world, it, in a way, becomes not their own and it becomes the, mm-hmm. the viewers, the fans. And to see that kind of queering of traditional media is... It's great to see. It's a shame that it has to be done, um, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Because if there was more representation, we'd, we wouldn't have to do it as much. But yeah. it, it's good to see people kind of being able to enjoy and engage in narratives that otherwise aren't maybe particularly represented of them explicitly, but being able to kind of take that.
0: Mm. Is there anything that you'd, t- you'd recommend? You might be like, you might suggest this in the episode later in the week. Um, maybe not like the top thing that you'd recommend for people to watch that is more of a, like a realistic representation, maybe like the second best. Cause like you might recommend the best in uh, switched on. So I don't want you to give that away. Oh gosh.
3: The second best. Okay.
0: And then maybe you could also do like a worst. <laughs>
3: um, ah, that's a really tough one. I guess like for me, something, like a piece of media that i really like which i enjoy the kind of character representation i get out of it is actually the dungeons and dragons critical role podcast um so the characters that are being played or well, the campaign actually just ended but in the most recent season slash campaign um two of the characters were canonically queer um and were role-played as such and I don't know it was just great to see because that it is that extended story as well you're kind of getting more time with them because they are Dungeons and Dragons playable characters or the people's player characters they're not just getting killed off left right and center um and they just had really well thought out stories and I, I really liked being able to see that um so that would probably be my second best um just off the top of my head as far as the worst Ooh. Oh, gosh, that's a really tough one. There's been some pretty bad ones. I mean, like um, I know some people think that Gay Tony in Grand Theft Auto, The Ballad of Gay Tony, is really bad because he's kind of, once again, that stereotypical gay flamboyant male. Um, But when I was younger, just seeing a queer character, I was like enthralled because I was like, wow, Grand Theft Auto is so progressive. But um, it's definitely
0: not fantastic. You know, it's a call out for content creators and producers to make these people, you know, more than just like something that's in like a sci-fi or a fantasy or even an animation, like a call out to just bring the, you know, the very real people that they are into these stories because it's not, yeah, I think it's, we see a lot of it in like fantasy, cartoon, sci-fi and It doesn't have to be strictly for that kind of genre, so. It can just be that kind of day in the life
3: sort of story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think as we do continue to see queer creators and people working in these industries that create media, because, I mean, a lot of the time they're kind of quite underrepresented in the industry itself, which is, Mm -hmm. I think, part of the reason why we don't get as many stories, like touching back on what I was saying before, kind of with queer stories by queer people. Um, I think as that continues to improve, which it definitely is and it will continue to, I hope, um, we'll continue to get kind of better and better stories and hopefully more of them.
0: The episode is going to be airing on Thursday. Thursday? yeah. And who else is going to be on with you? Uh, so we
3: have uh, Aditi who is also our producer Um, she's fantastic she's going to be talking about it all she's a a big gaming and entertainment fan in general so I think she'll have some pretty interesting takes Um, I know we've had a few chats about it already and she's she's got a lot in the tank and then um, also uh, Sigurd who is a uh, trans man that I am sort of friends with through a few different kind of media-related communities, um, particularly like Tabletop and LARP community, uh, and he is also very interested in media, particularly um, media that's skewed, I guess, more towards like queer men or um, trans men as well. So he's got a lot of interesting takes too. So I'm very, very keen to see what both of them bring to the table.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to it and learning a bit more about about what's going on in queer media and yeah, more developments because um, I don't I don't really know much to be honest. Um, so yeah, I think that'll be really good, and I hope everyone tunes in on Thursday and learns along with me as well or like relates and has more to add to the conversation and hopefully the comments because we want people to add to the conversation.
3: Yeah, 100%. Uh, the more kind of engagement we get in these kind of conversations, the more change can be brought about. And even if, you know, the it's just the conversation is, I didn't know this. It's it's great yeah, exactly. for learning. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Emily, for speaking to me. It was That's good okay. to chat with you again. It was good to chat too. Thank <laughs> you. Have a good one. Today's episode of The Wind Down was written by Aditi Kuti and Angus Delaney. Our editor was Lauren Boddicker and album artwork is by Emily Lee. You can find us on Twitter at Swin Journalism, Instagram at Swinburn Journalism, or on our website, theswinstandard.net. Thanks for listening.